Good afternoon, universe, and welcome to Cross Defense, your weekly dose of worldview demolition. Breaking down the stronghold, bad opinions, false notions of the enemy, and setting up shop with the mighty fortress of our Lord's word. That's his law and gospel, his truth, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for you, what Jesus is coming again to do. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, and we're on this journey for a while now, letting Dr. Francis Pieper's Christian Dogmatics, the signature statement of biblical truth confessed by the Missouri Synod in the 20th century, be the way to devote us to the belief that when God speaks, he does so that we might speak his word back to him. Now remember, I tell you this every time because it's worth it. St. Paul exhorts all Christians, hunger for the truth. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourselves and hearers. For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but instead will turn aside to suit their own desires, gathering around them a great number of teachers to teach what their itching ears want to hear. You, however, must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught and so encourage others. To encourage others to do that work of finding the doctrine, speaking about it, understanding it today, I have with me Pastor Adam Philippek of Holy Cross Lutheran Church and Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Lidgerwood, North Dakota, and Pastor Adam Moline of Emmanuel Lutheran Church and St. John Lutheran Church in Hankinson, North Dakota. Deep in the the far north, what is it, about 15 up there right now, fellas? Yeah, it's a little chilly up here today, but uh, it's been a pretty mild winter so far. Well, that's good to hear. They told me last year was mild. So is it, how's it compared to last year? All right, we got a little more snow, but um, it's a little warmer, so it evens out. Right on. <clears throat> you guys are going to have to find a way to, to abbreviate your, your dual parishes to make it easier on radio hosts who have to say pastor of two churches. It's, it's painful. It's, it's a trial for me. It's unfair. <laughs> I need a safe space. You know, well, we don't want to, you know, put you out too much. You know, we hate for you to have to do too much. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I might get a hangnail. So, uh, hey, we're we're gonna dig into section four of volume one of Francis Pieper's Dogmatics. This is page nineteen, and uh, shifting out of what has been a series on the fact that there are two different religions in the world, and that's it. There's no more, no less. There's the religion of the law. There's the religion of grace or the gospel in Christ. And now, Pieper's going to try to define what are the sources of these religions. What sets, It's not just what sets them apart is what they say, but also where they come from. And he, he will be a bit repetitive in here, but it, man, it's just it's such good stuff. It's going to continue to drive us back to the one piece of theology that we have always to rotate around, uh, which is that elevating of God's word in as who is Jesus over and above us and how that's so good for us for the sake of our salvation. So let me just go ahead and read a, a paragraph here and we'll, we'll kind of jump on it. He starts off, he says, as there are but two religions of essentially different content, the religion of the law or of man's works and the religion of the gospel or of faith in Christ. So there are but, and now big fancy language here, two principles of cognition from which these religions are derived and he explains that, two essentially different sources. The religion of the law, practiced in various forms outside and within visible Christendom, is of human origin. It is man-made. Scripture teaches that even after the fall, men still have a knowledge of the divine law. They know the judgment of God. The work of the law, that is, what God demands, is written on their hearts, though they do not have the law as written in Scripture. As the Apology of the Augsburg Confession says, Human reason naturally understands in some way the law, for it has the same judgment divinely written in the mind. Secondly, the heathen have an evil conscience because of their transgression of the law. They know that they which commit such things deserve and are worthy of death and eternal damnation. And so in the third place, they propose to reconcile the deity, that's God, through good works, moral endeavors, self-defiased worship, and sacrifices, etc. Though they know little about God and inscribe on the altar to an unknown God, they feel sure that they can win God's favor by observing the law. They know of no other way. This opinion of the law, that's that opinio legis we've been talking about, that works can obtain grace, inheres by nature in men's minds, Neither can it be expelled unless we are divinely taught. Thus, the world judges of all works that they are a propitiation by which God is appeased. 
So a lot, a lot there to chew on, fellas. Um, but he was basically saying, look, the law, God gave it to us. It's not like God didn't put it there. But unless he teaches us how to use it rightly, we're going to use it wrongly, right? This is Genesis coming forward once again. I mean, we, we were created to know God, to live with God forever, not to die, but to be in that perfect relationship back in the Garden of Eden. We knew. The problem is that when man stretched out their hand and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and disobedience, we now go from knowing God perfectly and knowing good perfectly to now knowing and participating in evil. And when you know and participate in evil and you lose the good, you lose the good perfect knowledge, then there is only one thing left for man unless God intervenes. And that is man left to himself, man left to his own ideas, man left to his own sources and knowledge and wisdom. And now in a dependent state of man who is by nature sinful and unclean, all of these different world religions, Jonathan, are going to come cropping up. But they all amount to the same thing. It's all a matter of man trying to satisfy, trying to fill that God-sized void um, simply by works. We, we kind of know that there's a, there's a God, but we don't know him. Why don't we know him that fall into sin? So man just sort of makes stuff up now on the fly. That isn't, is our nature. We are sinful. Isn't it interesting how uh, when Peter says that, the, the unknown God is out there. We kind of know he's there, but that we presume we don't know him, but we assume we can find him or at least please him by what we do and, and how much arrogance that has. We don't even know him. How can we just assume that? It's such a silly thing. Well, you know, I don't know that we can um, uh, on our own without that external word think any differently. I mean, um, the, the idea is there that if God is uh, existent, um, without him telling us anything about himself, the only thing we can try and do is to make him happy, to do things that will please him. Uh, you know, if, uh, uh, if God is the, the river God and the river's flooding, maybe we ought to offer him something so that he doesn't do it. And so naturally, I think, because of that sin, um, if there's a God and we hear nothing about him externally, we, we must do something to please him, to make him happy. And I think that's where it kind of comes from. What's, valu what's valuable also, and I don't, we shouldn't brush over it too quickly, and I think he comes back into this at a later place in, in the dogmatics, but this idea that the law is there among us and that this is a sort of, it's a real knowledge of God, this law written on our hearts. It is a divine imprint left. We don't know to what degree we actually know the fullness of the law. We know we don't know it perfectly, but it is there. Romans Chapter 2 speaks specifically of that. Romans chapter 1 speaks specifically of that in verse 32. You know, Peter quotes that. We have that, that knowledge, that dim knowledge of the law. And the interesting thing is, I mean, this is Genesis chapter 4. After Cain kills his brother Abel, you have God coming directly to Cain and saying, where is your brother? And Cain's reaction, am I my brother's keeper? And though there is no divine answer given, the... Uh, Silence is sort of, yeah, you are. I didn't create you this way. Your brother's blood cries out for you from the ground. So even before Moses marches up, marches up that mountain in Exodus chapter 20 and gives the very commandments, the articulation of the law that is written in our hearts right here in Genesis chapter 4, before the Ten Commandments are even given, it is categorically wrong to murder. And Cain knows it. It's written on his heart. It is, yeah. It, it, and, and as uh, Hamilton was saying about the, the river god, right? Like, so the river's flooding and something in you says, huh, maybe this is our fault. Like, like there's a guilty conscience that we're just carrying around with us everywhere. Yeah, it's Moline, by the way. Ah, oh, uh, Hamilton, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's, uh, I'm not as good looking as Hamilton, but, uh, it, you know, you're right about that conscience stuff. Uh, I think um, uh, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller does a lot of good stuff on that, talking about that, that that conscience does cry out, uh, even though... Uh, you know, as we sin more and more, it gets uh, more and more broken, uh, and we, we kind of learn to uh, uh, roll over the things our conscience is telling us. But that conscience is there. Um, almost every person in the world uh, feels some sort of uh, guilt, you know, uh, if they do something uh, that is against the Ten Commandments, whether they know about the commandments or not, whether they know about God or not, um, you know, it, murdering someone, you feel bad about it um, the first time that it happens. I I hear, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, first-hand experience there, huh? 
Um, but, uh, you know, that's, that's that natural law that is written there in our hearts. Um, that conscience, that uh, uh, Jiminy Cricket that says, you know, that's probably not such a smart thing to do. C.S. Lewis, I think, is the one I'm getting this from, but he makes a really good point, too, that even the hardened conscience, the, that, that criminal mind that has, has ceased to feel guilt for murder and, and theft and whatnot, he may not feel bad about stealing someone's else, someone else's stuff, but he knows when someone steals his stuff, it's wrong, right? Uh, he's not happy about that. So we may not be good at always being able to know immediately when we have hurt someone else or done wrong, but we know when someone else wrongs us. And in this way, most definitely that law, Ten Commandments, is, is just written in our, hat, in our heart even deeper than stone. Perfect example of that is simply a child, a child who can even barely talk. You steal their toy, what's going to happen? That's right, mine. They're going to cry. <laughs> They're going to cry because it's unjust. I mean, hey, you took my stuff. I was playing with that. What are you doing? Why did you take it from me? I mean, that, that you don't have the cognitive thought and reason and the verbal articulation there, but you can just see it. You can see it in the facial expression, right? Right. And so this is where when he says the heathen even know when they have transgressed the law. And then so we move from this knowledge of the law that's in us to the belief that we can we can balance the scales, that whatever I've done wrong, somehow I can I can make it right again. But what a bizarre way of applying uh, anything is, right? How you don't do that with like uh, one of the best examples I ever saw someone do is they took a bite of an apple and then they, they kind of took the piece of apple out of their mouth and set it in front of me. So you got this beautiful apple with a piece missing and the piece on the on the table. And I said, now put it back. But you can't put it back, right? And so once you've done evil, what makes you think that a little bit of good is going to make it better? It, it, it doesn't undo the evil. Even if you were only good after that all the time, that's only what you ought to be, <laughs> right? You don't get rewarded for that. You don't get to pay back from that. How can you possibly atone for evil with works? It's just it's just not possible. Well, see, I think what happens is without the external uh, word of God telling us who God is, uh, we just naturally think God is like us. And so go back to the, the kid whose toy got taken away. How do you make that uh, uh, kid happy again? You give the toy back. So when we've taken that bite from the apple or we've sinned against that God and we're aware of it, the, the natural idea is, well, I'll just pay him back. I'll give him back uh, what I took on accident and or uh, I'll make atonement or I'll appease him uh, so that he won't punish me. So he won't be angry at me and we can uh, restore that right relationship. Uh, I mean, without a divine knowledge, uh, without God telling us any differently, it just makes sense. That's the way that it should work. That's good. The projection of us onto God or the, or the assuming that since we don't know who God is, he must be like us. Uh, I don't know if personification is the right word, but certainly making, making him in our image. Exactly. While that is in fact the case, if you look at it on a deeper level, even if you give back what you have taken, even if you try to appease something that you have done wrong against someone else, trying to appease that sin, People are by nature sinful and unclean. And so they may stop crying, as Moline suggests, or things might not come back on you for full. But guess what happens in the person's mind? See, we're, we're grudge holders, right? We're, we are not going to forget that. And if something happens again, then you are always this way, or you always do this or see this is characteristic of you. I mean, we, we can appease, but we never really fully appease. And that's the interesting thing. We never can really even fully appease or pay back, even in this life, our neighbor. Yeah, I, I, one of the thoughts I had with the illustration, it's a rabbit hole, we shouldn't go too far down. It may not right. apply, but I think it does. I feel like it should, is that, you know, the child, my child, uh, if if I take away a toy from them for a good reason and then they cry and then I would give the toy back, the child is going to then use that against me later and use the same tactic to try to get me to do other things, right? Uh, so one way or the other, you just we, we cannot please each other even. And yet we would sit and turn and try to make that somehow the path to peace with God. It's, it's altogether impossible. Any other thoughts before we jump into that next paragraph? Well, I think you're you're right, and the and that's the hopelessness of it, right? The hopelessness of this uh, religion of the law, the hopelessness of this. Uh, this is the God that I have created in my heart. Is there is no uh, final end to the game? There's no final. He's happy with me. There's no hope. 
Uh, we never know if we've pleased God and we can never do enough to please God. And it's a, a terrifying prospect then to have this God created in our own image um, who um, is the way we think he ought to be rather than the way he says he is. He's not the good God uh, that uh, scripture has if he's our created God because we are not good people uh, to begin with. So, right. You see yeah. this in the pantheons of the Greeks and the, the Norse and whatnot. Yes. They're also flawed yeah, and that's what I think makes those uh, uh, Greek, um, you know, God stories so interesting is that the gods are like us um, in their sinfulness, uh, but our God is good, uh, and that's the, the difference for us. In the Old Testament, it's also very interesting that the gods of the Canaanite worship practices, Dagon, Molech, Baal, all of these, you have child sacrifices. You have to kill your children in order to appease God. Now set that against God in Genesis chapter 4 who comes to Cain and says, what is this you have done? It's just wholly different. I mean, God is not, a man-made God is, is not a reflection of the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at all. So this is then, as a good segue to the next paragraph, because when Peeper says that the religion of the law is the religion of the flesh. He doesn't just mean it, humans made it up. Uh, by by using that word flesh there, he is implying it's it's a religion of corruption. It's, it's a decayed religion. It has no way of rightly seeing even who the real God really is. That the real God doesn't want to be wrathful. That, that's not his proper work. That's not why he designed the world, but that he actually desires to love us. So this, this false religion is entirely sinful. The Apostle Paul expressly calls it that, uh, Peeper says, in Galatians 3, when he says, Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? The, the religion of the law is the product of the unregenerate, the natural mind. Then he quotes Luther on Galatians 3. Luther says, Paul sets here the Spirit, meaning Holy Spirit, against the flesh. He calls not the flesh, as I have said before, fleshly lust, beastly passions, or sensual appetites, for he entreats not here of lust or such other fleshly desires, but of forgiveness of sins, of justifying the conscience, of obtaining righteousness before God, of delivery from the law, sin, and death. Flesh, therefore, this is still Luther, flesh, therefore, is here taken for the very righteousness and wisdom of the flesh and the judgment of reason which seeks to be justified by the law. Now, Peeper, Scripture thus clearly teaches that every type of religion which in any way directs men to gain God's grace through human endeavors and accomplishments is not wisdom of God, but wisdom of from below, man-made wisdom. And what is, what is, now is Fisk here, what, what is properly offensive in that paragraph, and, and I think would be the most difficult thing for a human being, and for us even now, as we are Lutheran Christian pastors who've been trained to see this, what is totally offensive is that it isn't my wicked sin that is most offensive to God, it's my belief that my good works are good enough that is my deepest offense. It's, yeah, we, we self-justify, don't we? I mean, everybody does this. And, and when we self-justify, whether it's uh, by saying, well, I'm better than my neighbor or I, um, uh, I give more money to the church or, um, you know, I create the God in my own image. When we self-justify, I think the thing that's offensive is, is then that lessens who Christ is, that lessens who Jesus is, takes our focus off of Christ and onto uh, whatever form of self-justification that we've done. And, and that's the problem, I think, is all of this uh, uh, self-justification, finding our idea of God from within, all these things, they take away from the office and person and work of Jesus Christ. But then it's offensive to me that Jesus Christ comes in and takes away from me by insisting that he has to be the entire full Savior, right? So that my good works aren't good enough, and well, that's not fair, God. <laughs> well, yeah, um, and that's, um, I mean, what's the reason for that? It's your sin, right? Uh, it's your pride. Uh, it's the uh, false idea that you uh, are something special and and um, uh, in this world and and maybe a, a gift to this world uh, rather than being Jesus. We we don't like the idea that Jesus has to go to the cross or that he has to bleed or suffer or die for our sins um, because uh, first off that says 
something different about ourselves than what we think, that we are sinful. Uh, and uh, uh, then it's kind of a gruesome thing to say, that's the cost for the things that I've done. And we don't like that either. It is offensive to us. Um, we, we don't want to think about that. Uh, here at our church, we have a, uh, a crucifix stained glass window. And uh, I had taken a, a picture of it and tried to put it on our letterhead the one time. And one member said, well, that's kind of a uh, an offensive picture to have uh, on your letterhead, isn't it? And uh, <laughs> it's a stained glass window in our church, and it's the message that we preach according to Paul, Christ crucified. Um, but it is offensive to us uh, because of our sin. Right. Yeah, that I'm convinced that the reason so many crucifixes have been taken down across American churches, and this goes for, you know, you Lutherans out there, if you don't know it, we used to have crucifixes everywhere. It, we, that was not a Roman Catholic thing at all. It's very normal. Um, I'm convinced the reason we've taken it down is because we don't like what it reminds us of, which is that it shouldn't be Jesus hanging there. It should be me. Right. Right. That Then that's what your flesh has earned in its sin. Jonathan, if you cannot confess that, then you are a liar who needs to die. <laughs> now, that's offensive, isn't it? Yeah. Of course. But isn't that what we confess on Sunday? Yep. If you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself and the truth is not in us, is not in you. If you say that, eh, I'm pretty good, God's happy, I tried pretty hard, you're a liar. That's what First John tells you. You're a liar. And Romans goes further and says, not only are you a liar, you are an enemy of God. Romans chapter 5. You are an enemy. You're dead set against God. You don't know him. You don't seek to follow him. You don't love him. You are stuck and dead in your sin. And a dead person can't make himself alive. So you can squirm. You can wiggle. You can do whatever you want. But the fact of the matter is you either rely on yourself and we'll see how that goes when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ and he pulls out that bar and says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And you can squirm, you can wiggle all you want, but you'll never do it. Versus the righteousness, the second part of this, that comes from Christ. Say, so you know what? You're right. I can't. I can't do it. I am a sinner. And in that admission is a death to yourself. It is a death to what you want. Is it a death to what you work on? It is a death to what you think. And it is a joining to Christ. No wonder we call baptism and the symbolism of baptism and the words of baptism a death to sin and being alive to God in Christ Jesus. Or do you not know that all of you who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? You were buried with him in baptism. You died to sin. You died with Christ. You died to your idolatrousness. And now you arise to live in the light of Christ and join to him in eternal life. I'm convinced that when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, he didn't mean try to be really pious. He meant take up the fact that you deserve to be crucified. Own it. Don't love it. Own it, though. Call the thing what it is. Call your flesh what it is and know that I'm here to save you from it. You're listening to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news, talking with Pastor Adam Filipek and Adam, not Hamilton, Moline. Uh, we'll be right back in just a few moments. Agnus Day Liturgical Arts glorifies God in so many ways you could look at their website for days. You get art for show and sale, artistic expertise you'll hail. That's Agnus Day Liturgical Arts. Pastors, teachers, and preachers alike will find it their extreme delight. That's Agnus Day Liturgical Arts. Oil paintings and illustrations galore. See what they've got you'll want even more. So get more at their website. See what's in store. That's AgnusDayArts.com. Kelly Schumacher's AgnusDayArts.com. Hi, this is Pastor Mark Azil, the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and the Chancellor of LCMSU, inviting you to join us right here on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the Student Union. If you can't make it, Student Union is always available as a podcast at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. Wednesday afternoon at 2 on KFUO. This week on His Time's Daily Lectionary Study, we look at Mark chapter 9 through Mark chapter 10. The transfiguration of Jesus and what that really means for the life of the world, to have God as man now here among us. Join us at 8 a.m. every morning for the Daily Lectionary Study and tune in beforehand with the dawn with me, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, on His Time for your morning drive for the soul here on Worldwide KFUO. 
The thought of my sons growing up without me inspired me to quit smoking. I talked to my doctors and then I threw away all my cigarettes, ashtrays and lighters. I started exercising instead of smoking. Staying away from alcohol when I was first quitting was key. I kept on trying, learned something each time. Do whatever it takes. No matter how many times it takes. We did it, so can you. For free help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and CDC. Worldwide KFUO is faithful to the Holy Scriptures. Our talk programs, music programs, and worship services focus on the message of salvation through Christ. Generations of families have confidence in KFUO to proclaim a clear, unwavering message of Christ crucified for sins. Faithful, scriptural, Lutheran. We are Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. On Sunday, March 20th, 2016, former President Barack Obama became the first American leader to visit Cuba since ties were severed in 1961, the first sitting American president to do so since Calvin Coolidge in 1928. But did you know a Museum of the Bible exhibit took place in Havana two years before that? La Biblia, El Camino de Dios, and El Camino del Hombre. The Bible, the way of God in the way of man. It was so well received by Cuban people that Museum of the Bible brought the exhibit to Cuba again. Young Cuban professionals in Santiago used images of museum artifacts to create another exhibition, sharing the history of the Bible with other Cubans. The influence of La Biblia lives on as more people in Cuba engage with this book of all books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Right now, you can double the impact of your giving to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. They got their dollar-for-dollar match. It's back. A fantastic opportunity to help new Christians, new Lutherans in places like Slovakia, Mongolia, and Japan have at their fingertips fantastic biblical resources like the Small Catechism, a children's garden of Bible stories, and Good News Magazine. Did you know that the cost to translate and print one small catechism in a foreign language is only $5? Now imagine just how far that $5 goes as a tool put into the hands of a faithful pastor to help his people learn the language of the Bible, the importance of confessing the same faith once for all delivered to the saints, and of course that proper distinction between law and gospel, that the gospel is that Jesus wants you to be his own and live under him in his kingdom, which is of course why he shed his precious blood for you. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation is working in over 105 languages with over 840 titles published in 95 of those languages. I'm not kidding when I say they're doing phenomenal work all around the globe, and they are certainly worth contacting and supporting with your mission giving. You can learn more about the Lutheran Heritage Foundation at lhfmissions.org. That's lhfmissions.org. Come on, just go ahead right now. Head over, give them five bucks. That'll get two catechisms translated and printed. Totally worth your time. Welcome back to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO. My name's Pastor Jonathan Fisk. We're here talking about dogma. It's just an old-fashioned way of saying things that are true, that really matter, they never change. And generally, if you're a Christian, they're good news, too. Talking with Pastor Adam Filipek and Pastor Adam Moline, both out of North Dakota, servants of the Word and Sacrament in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, about Francis Pieper's dogmatics as our starting point, but really zooming in on the religion of the flesh versus the religion of the gospel. There's two religions in the world, the law and grace, what mankind comes up with, and then here's the where we're going to, what God has actually said is true. So the origin of these religions is, well, the first, the wicked one, our, our wickedness is from, from ourselves. The religion of the gospel, Pieper says on page 20 of volume one of his series, the religion of the gospel, on the contrary, is not of man, but of God. It deals with things that have not entered into the heart of man. Quote from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The plan of salvation, according to which the Son of God became incarnate and by his work reconciled mankind with God, so that men are now saved without works of their own, by faith in the work of Christ, was conceived, that's thought up of, came from, in the eternal counsel of God. The Christian religion 
the religion of grace is the very truth, the wisdom of God, and, and this is kind of the key kind of turning point in this, and men know of it only through God's revelation in the word. Not even the intelligentsia, the princes of this age can conceive the idea that God forgives the sins of men, not because of their works, but for the sake of the crucified Christ. In short, the religion of grace is in no sense a human product. It is God-made, and the only source of this knowledge until the end of time is God's revelation in the world. word. So, yeah, you could, you could sit out on a mountaintop pondering the nirvana existence of the universe and how you ought to love your neighbor as yourself until you're blue in the face and dead and six feet underground. You're never going to come up with the idea that a Jewish carpenter crucified on a cross in 00-whatever A.D. is, in fact, our only hope. you got to have somebody tell you that. Yeah, and it's so much different than the way we think about everything else. You know, you think about uh, uh, philosophy and the reason we know things is, you know, Descartes says, I think, therefore I know I exist, and, and then kind of builds everything off of that. And I think that idea is a lot uh, behind the way people think in our world today even. You know, this is my opinion. This is how I feel about this particular topic. Um, and, and that doesn't work with religion. Religion isn't uh, dependent on how you think or how you feel or uh, what you do. Uh, religions, uh, our true religion, our faith, Christianity, is based solely on the Word of God and the things that he says uh, about Jesus and that Jewish carpenter who came, and um, nobody can think of that. It has to be externally revealed, and that's why, you know, we Lutherans uphold the Word so much. That's why uh, Scripture is so important. That's why it's in all of our liturgy and in our hymns. Uh, that's why your pastor um, uh, should be preaching from the Scriptures um, and, and teaching you what they say, because we need that external word, uh, because no matter how hard we think, no matter um, uh, if we spent our whole life meditating on it, we could never come up with that uh, saving uh, idea that Christ died to forgive us all of our sins. It's a discussion, like Moline says, about truth. I think this is the most startling thing about knowing God and knowing good and evil. When we think about how we know things, like he gave the idea of Descartes, when we think about, like we talked about last time, epistemology, we think often about, I can observe the world and I can make sense of the world. But we often forget the component of the external word, right? I mean, everything that we even learn, even from our senses, has to be interpreted by a worldview, an external word to make sense of everything. Now, are you going to depend on your own word? Because that's the interesting thing. If you start talking about truth, you inevitably end up at John 14, verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is not an abstract concept. Truth is not something that can be ascertained by my intellect. Truth is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. You've lost that truth in the Garden of Eden. And the only way you're going to get it back is if Jesus, the truth, enters into the flesh, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and reveals to us the one true God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We were far off. We've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. It's not with that. I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Melanie. Well, it, I, yeah, like what you said, Philippeck, uh, bring it, bring us back to what you said earlier about uh, uh, that passage from Romans, uh, which we read at every funeral, right? Uh, do you not know that when you were baptized, you died with Christ, you rose with Christ? We read that at funerals because there's an opportunity where we do have um, the truth shown to us. No matter how you feel or what you think, the person has passed away. And the only hope then can be from that external word, uh, Jesus Christ, which is then why we, we preach that, we teach that, uh, we, we say that in the face of death even. Um, you know, there's nobody else we can talk to that's died um, to tell us what happened except for Jesus. We have to take his external word. Um, all the things, the external word is the most important thing. This is what I think is so important to emphasize is that when we talk about the word as Lutherans, we, we literally mean that this man Jesus spoke and that we have what he said written down and that it, it hasn't changed. And getting back to the epistemology thing again, this, what does epistemology mean? It's such a horribly painful sounding word. Uh, how we know what we know, right? How, how do you learn the way things are? Every single thing that you know, you know because somebody else told you. 
It is, it is an eyewitness life that we live. You didn't just kind of feel your way into speaking English and doing math and knowing how your TV works. You had to observe this all take place. And to, to think that somehow now in religion, the highest of all things, really, the most important thing you could have, that that works differently than the rest of the world, that you just feel your way into it, is folly. Why would you not trust the eyewitnesses, particularly of this man who didn't stay dead? Which just changes the game, right? Hey, I'm I'm God, guys. Uh, no, you're not. Yes, I am. Just kill me. I'll prove it. Okay, we'll kill you then. And three days later, hey, I'm I'm still God, and I'm man. And and by the way, keep my word. Um, this is a phenomenally different thing than. I feel like the river god's mad at me. I think I'm gonna throw my daughter into the river to placate it. Well, yeah, and so you know, to use our uh, a term going around a lot right now, uh, the difference is between good news. Uh, which is that uh, message Jesus died and rose again, and that he's God, and that um, we are all forgiven by the things that he's done. Uh, good news versus fake news, which is uh, the appeasing the river God or um, doing enough nice stuff for people in your community to save yourself or praying enough prayers or donating money. That's fake news because it's all based upon uh, the source of knowledge is the human heart and the human mind instead of that external word. Now, I'm really glad you brought up fake news because I, I needed a segue to talking about Donald Trump and you've given me it now. Um, <laughs> we all know that, that the most important thing in the world today is Donald Trump's Twitter feed, whether however you feel about it. Um, but what I, what I found really, really interesting that I think applies directly to what we're talking about here. So I don't want to go off on, we're not going to go off on politics. So keep listening. I, but I'm going to use it as a, as, a, as a hook a little bit. I was listening to somebody in a public setting argue with uh, why you should or should not like Trump. And the individual kept coming up with as their reason for not liking Trump, I don't like him because he's mean. I don't like a person who who makes me feel that way. Now, in politics, that's one thing, but I've heard that same argument used about God and the scriptures and Jesus. I don't I don't want to believe in a God who would do this or who would do that. And when we're talking like epistemology and creation and truth and physics and all that kind of stuff, like where in where in physics do you get to say, yeah, I don't like gravity. I think it's mean. I don't I'm not gonna believe it exists. And yet we somehow have this belief we can come up to the eternal God and just decide we don't want to believe in him just because we we feel like it. It's such a weird pride. I, I can't wrap my head, head around how insane it is. You know, I think uh, a lot of those people that say things like that um, have an anger at God. It's uh, You know, they don't even deny that maybe there's a God that exists, but they're mad at him uh, for something that happened, a loved one who died or uh, something they saw that was terrible in this world. And they, they put the blame for that thing upon God rather than, uh, these terrible things happen because we're sinners and our sin brings these things about. And uh, uh, they make God the author of the evil that's taking place. Uh, and so then they're mad at him. And uh, it's maybe not uh, rightly placed anger in that regard. You don't get to deny reality without consequence. I'll give you an anecdote. We can go up in a plane, Jonathan. You can believe in gravity. I can believe gravity does not exist. But when we jump out of the plane, what happens is you think gravity exists, so what are you going to do? You're going to strap on the parachute and be pulled 9.8 meters per second squared. I don't think gravity exists. What am I going to do? I'm going to jump out of the plane. But my faith in something, my belief in something doesn't determine reality. It rather determines what I receive, right? So if I, if I acknowledge the truth, then I get to float in a parachute. If I don't acknowledge the truth, I go splat, 9.8 meters per second squared. In the Christian faith, this is the thing about it. God exists whether you think so or not. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you do not acknowledge it, you will rise to be condemned. If you acknowledge it, John chapter 5, you will rise, and acknowledge it, I mean believe, not just, oh yeah, an, an intellectual sin, but, but trust in the one true God, then you will rise to eternal life. Everyone dies and everyone rises, whether you believe that or whether you don't. The fact of the matter is, faith just determines whether that work of Christ is appropriated to you or not. Faith clings to Jesus. That comes from the word, the external word. Yeah, exactly right. 
And I think this is actually the startling thought as well about about scripture. You know, going back to what you said earlier, Jonathan, about external words and things like that, and and this idea that the the word that we were talking about is, is a person, right? So that we like to think about books that way too, religious books. You've got your truth. I've got my truth. You've got your truth. You got the Quran. You got the Book of Mormon. You've got the Holy Bible. You got the Vedas. They're all just different ways uh, to truth. And and the interesting thing is. The Bible is not the Bible because somehow when we say, oh, the word, it's something special about the Bible. I mean, just think about what the Bible is. If I think the Bible is the word, then what does that do to John chapter one? In the beginning was the Bible and the Bible was with God and the Bible was God. No, it's not about a book. It's about a person. What book testifies rightly to that person? The objectivity is still in the person, the work of Christ. What book testifies rightly to that. Eyewitness accounts, everything there for you. I want to go back to your analogy about jumping out of a plane and how what I think doesn't change or what I feel or believe doesn't change the results because on the one hand, this can be some terrible news, right? It's, it's look, you not believing that there's going to be a judgment day doesn't stop there from being a judgment day and for you having to answer account for every thought, word, and deed that you've, you've ever done. Any, anything that you've left done or undone in this age is going to be brought to account on. But there's also a tremendous, a tremendous good news in this which is that whether you believe it or not, Jesus Christ died for your sins. It's done, right? You don't, you don't have to believe it to make it so. And that that proclamation is the religion that God has started. I have died for your sins. You don't even know it. You were, you were enemies with me, but I have done it. it it's, it's achieved. It's completed. And there's so much confidence we can find as Christians now confessing that to this age, that that phrase or set of words or or narrative or whatever you want to call it, that word from Jesus, I forgive you, is the power of God to salvation of all who believe. So you want to have other people believe? You speak those words. If you are my disciples, you will listen to my teachings. You will obey my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's not just a, a confidence. It, it's a setting free. It's a it's a certainty. It's a righteousness. That's the beauty of it. And the way that the external word plays out in our lives on a Sunday morning is simply this. I come to the divine service knowing exactly what I have done wrong, knowing how I have sinned against my neighbor, how I've sinned against God. And I feel that sin pressing in on me, pressing down on me, trying to squeeze that life out of me. And I begin to believe as the devil would have me do, throwing his sin and throwing my sin in my face that no one in the world could love or forgive me after what I did. I begin to believe that somehow um, no one could ever do that. No one could love me. And then the external word breaks forth as a called and ordained servant of Christ and by his authority. I announce the grace of God unto you in the stead by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ. I forgive you all your sins. And the good news is you don't have to feel like anyone could or would forgive you. You don't Mm. have to think somehow, I I wonder if. All you have to do is hear the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ. Hear the words of God for you in Christ. I forgive you. And in that word, you are set free from sin, from death, and from the devil. You guys both had your baptism moment earlier, so I'm going to take mine right now because this is my favorite place to go when I get the person who's like, and they're they're a Christian, which means they've been baptized, right? Now, you could do this with someone who's not baptized yet because you, you would just baptize them, but they come to you and they're like, I just don't know if I believe. I'm just not sure if I believe, and I, I take them straight to baptism. It's like, why are you arguing with God? He says you do. He says, you're a believer now, so get over yourself and stop thinking you're stronger than God. He's told you you're a believer. Just deal with it. Now, I'm saying that because I know that their question that they're having is a question of faith, right? They're, this is not the high-handed, obstinate unbeliever saying, I don't believe, and I'm like, oh, yes, you do. This is somebody who is, yeah, they have the faith. They just keep trying to look at it, and because they keep trying to look at it, they can't see it. And so I say, stop looking at it and look at the guy who says it's there, and suddenly, well, the confidence comes with baptism. I'm going to push us into the next two paragraphs here uh, for the last few minutes of, of the show. So page 21 in Peeper. Accordingly, he continues, various doctrinal systems and visible Christendom 
which say that God's grace is obtained wholly or in part through human works and moral achievements, and he lists a few, and he's nice by using ancient names rather than modern names, Pelagianism, semi-Pelagianism, synergism. Pelagius, an ancient heretic who taught that you could find God basically without the church. it just be good enough and get your way there. Semi-Pelagianism, which is sort of the, the medieval way that Lutherans would talk about Roman Catholicism, that they, they almost are Pelagian and they at least are hiding it, but then synergism being the word that best maybe describes the whole thing, to synergize, to bring together your work and God's work as the way of saving. Paper says all of these are of human origin, even if you find them taught in Christianity. They have been inserted into Christianity. They are outside the sphere of the divine religion revealed in God's word and must be classified, he says, as religions devised by men. The Christian church would have been spared much confusion, strife, and dissension if the proponents of these theories had always plainly supplied them with their proper trademark, man-made. Hmm. How old is the gospel? It was revealed immediately after the fall in the promise that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. All the Old Testament prophets taught it in unison, and all the children of God in the days of the Old Testament believed it in unity, as Peter testifies, Acts 10. To him give all the prophets witness that through him, through his name, whoever believes in him shall receive remission of sins. And then Peter finally, Luther's writings abound in statements that men derive their knowledge of divine things either from the law or from the gospel, that thus there are but two principles of religious knowledge. Now, I heard you, Moline, there go, hmm, on the man-made thing. Isn't it a great point? Well, yeah. Don't you wish that um, all the, the, you know, you look across the, the gamut of religions that uh, they had that label attached to them that you could say, well, that's a man-made religion, that it, they had to advertise that way. It would sure make uh, our job as pastor a lot easier. Uh, but, uh, you know, we do have a lot of uh, teaching that we have to do about that. We need uh, always, always as pastors to uh, uh, point people to, to look to what God says, you just said, rather than uh, these man-made ideas, moral achievements, human works, um, you know, it, it would be so much handier if, you know, it said that uh, at this church, man-made uh, rather than um, Christ-made. And I think, you know, if we're teaching according to the scriptures, it is Christ-made, it is Christ-centered, it is Christ-focused. Um, even, uh, you know, I like the way that uh, Daniel Preuss said it in his uh, book, Why I'm a Lutheran, Christ at the center. And that's really our, our church, our faith, our teaching. Uh, that's our, our, our theme, Christ at the center. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to walk up to the door of the church and find a nutritional label, right? So you got the ingredients and you can look in the ingredient list of the church. It's got like scripture, hymnody from the 15th century, leaven. <laughs> and you go, oh, there's <laughs> leaven at this church. I shouldn't go there. Well, it doesn't do that for you. But I'll tell you this too. The more you spend time in catechesis, and by that I mean underneath and in with and under the word of God, whether it's confessed by ancient Christians or whether it's preached by your pastor or whether it's studying the scriptures directly, the more you spend time in the actual scriptures, the more you're going to be able to smell the leaven rising. You may not even always be able to put your finger on it, but you're going to be in that church. You're going to be like, that didn't sound right to me. Something's odd there. And hopefully you talk to the pastor about it. And if he dismisses you, well, hopefully uh, you talk to a different pastor somewhere else and find out what's going on. Right. But leaven, it isn't going to be in a label on the door, but it does have an odor. And your, your task as, an, as a Christian, whether you're a lady or pastor, is to know how to tell the difference. But this is exactly Peeper's point. I mean, I think it's more of a lamenting here. You will never be able to self-identify. You are a sinner. You can't think, oh, I really am kind of teaching uh, the, the wrong thing here. I, I guess, you know, thinking about this, that there must be a, a better way. Man cannot self-identify or diagnose his own problems. It's only when you die with Christ and you live in Christ in the waters of baptism, in holy absolution, in the sacraments, in the divine service, where Christ is preached into you, poured on you, poured in you, and you are surrounded and enlivened by Christ, then you begin to see the truth, and the truth sets you free, so that when you do go to some of these other different religions or different even churches who call themselves Christians, and they're preaching this religion of the law, you can look at them and say, that ain't Christianity, man, that's poison. You're chaining me up again to sin and death, putting it all on me so that when I get to the point of my deathbed and Satan's accusing me, I thought you were a Christian. How could you? My answer is, I, I guess I haven't followed Christ. I haven't, I guess I haven't done enough. I, I, I don't know where I am going. But with the truth, you can say, you know what, Satan, I haven't been 
faithful in anything that I have said or done, my word has been unfaithful. But thanks be to God that he was faithful in to me in his word when he proclaimed on the cross, Father, forgive them. When he said in the waters of baptism, I baptize you, you are my child. When he said, I forgive you. So you're right, I don't deserve it. But you know what? Christ has said it, therefore it is. Nothing in thy hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. So get behind me, Satan. I do not belong to the devil. I do not belong to the world. I do not belong to you. I belong to Christ. That is the power of the external world. Uh, I love the passion of Adam Philippeck. That's good stuff. I, I want to make sure that we clarify one thing here, just in case uh, someone out there is, is wanting to be ornery, that when we say that there are churches out there that are Christian, and that they have false teaching in them, and that it's not Christian teaching. We are not saying every Christian there is damned or going to hell. We're saying that the leaven does happen in the church, and that we, I think the, the real point you're making there, Adam, is that it can be in, even in, in a good Lutheran church, it can slip in. We, we have to be sure. on our guard, right? And and purge the leaven, send it out. That doesn't mean you kick the every, every person out who does a sin. It means you are always seeking to reform yourself to the Word of God. And if there is a task that the Lutheran Church has within the broad scope of world Christianity, that's it. We want to reform everybody, not to be like us, but to be like what Scripture says. FDA says you need to get eight glasses of water a day to survive. Now, Jonathan, I can, Adam, I can get those glasses of water however I want. Can I drink coffee? Can I drink Coca-Cola all day long? Eight, eight cans? Well, sure I can. Will I be alive? Yeah. How healthy will I be? See, that's, that's the difference. It's about the purity of water. We don't always like the taste. We don't always like what it has to say to us, right? And I'm talking the word of God. We don't always like necessarily as sinners the living water, but when that living water who is Jesus is poured into us, it becomes a spring welling up to eternal life. I completely agree, and I think uh, we even confess the idea in the catechism, you know, um, that uh, in the, the Lord's Prayer, the first petition, hallowed be thy name, uh, God's name is kept holy when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity. Now, as, as uh, you know, Philippeck is saying, all of us pastors, uh, we're sinful people as well. If, you know, uh, lay people hold your pastors accountable. If they say something wrong, go and talk to them. Uh, pastors hold your people accountable. Teach them always what the faith says. Um, and uh, as we continue, uh, as iron sharpens iron, to uh, talk with one another and, and uh, study the scriptures together, study the confessions together, uh, we, we uh, work in that process of uh, uh, continuing to bring Christ to us and focus on Christ and be Christ-made instead of of man-made. My guest, Pastor Adam Philippeck of Holy Cross Lutheran Church and Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Lidgerward, North Dakota. Pastor Adam Moline of Emmanuel Lutheran Church and St. John Lutheran Church in Hankinson, North Dakota. Gentlemen, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. And we certainly hope you heard that good news in this last hour. Cross Defense is underwritten for you by the Luther Academy. You can check them out at lutheracademy.com. Get in touch with them. Tell them about the good work they're doing, including bringing you Cross Defense here on KFUO. We've come quite a ways now. Scripture has been defined, right? That, that God has spoken through his prophets, and now through his Son we have these words, and these words are our way to truth, to true religion, knowing that there are two religions in the world. There are two different ways in which spirituality takes place. One is the one we've made up for, for ourselves. Having fallen from grace, we can't conceive of anything other than being able to climb our way back up. And it's a dead end. And then you have the religion of grace that we did fall from, but which God himself, because he is a God of grace and mercy, wants to restore to us. That is what has been made known in the life, death, suffering resurrection, ascension, and return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Where we're going to move next now is from this idea of these two religions and the one being false, and you got a bit of this leaven inserting itself into Christianity, is, well, when we look at the Christian church and we see that there's all manner of uh, kind of panoply of chaos going on, they, one person says this, one group says this, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, all this kind of stuff, right? What's the cause of that? Well, wouldn't you figure it's that one false religion trying to find its way back in. That's right, it's lies, false teaching that is the cause of divisions in the church. Section 5 of Peeper's Dogmatics Volume 1. We'll take that up next week with our other guests. Again, you're listening to Cross Defense. I am your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, and we'll catch you then, right? Until then, rock on. Rock on.